0: Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome everybody to the Community Matters call. My name is Fran Stoddard, and we've got a great call, so I want to get us going. Uh, You might want to open your Google Doc, which is a link that came with you in your email, uh, and see a couple questions that have already come in. So today we're going to be talking about inclusive communities. Community Matters calls are brought to you by the Orton Family Foundation. These are an ongoing series designed to help people in their communities just take charge of their futures. On today's call, we'll hear how the practice of working with residents and community-based organizations to strengthen civic life and develop action to address challenges has been transformational. I'll start with a few call logistics, and then we'll hear from Moki Macias and Tramunda Hodges, who have done exceptional inclusivity work through the Annie E. Casey Foundation in Atlanta, Georgia. So welcome, Monkey and Tramunda.
1: Hello, Brian.
0: <laughs> so I'll continue with my intro. It's great to have you both here. So... First, they'll introduce us to the basics of their work, and then we'll challenge them with your questions from the Google Doc. We'll also welcome your insights on the Google Doc during the call. Due to the high volume of participants, we've put everybody on mute to assure good quality um, of the audio for everybody. Later in the call, I might ask a few of you to come off mute to join the conversation, to expand on your question, or to um, engage you in your expertise. We encourage you to stay engaged via the Google Doc. Uh, that's the link from your email. It's a shared online document for note-taking and questions. You can open that document on your browser and follow along as Orton, Caitlin Perose takes notes. But you can also add your own notes and, uh, and questions if they come up. It's a good idea to skim through uh, the questions to see what's already there to avoid redundancy. If you have a question during the call, please enter it uh, there on the Google Doc, and we will try to get to it. We hope you also share your wisdom, comments, and examples by helping to answer some of those questions on the Google Doc. And we'll leave this document up after the call and then send it around to all the participants and make it available on the Communities Matters website as well. The only um, caveat is since the Google Doc can only handle 50 people as active editors at a time, if you're not adding to the document by using the edit button, please just close out and reopen the Google Doc in a read-only mode. If you have any trouble uh, with that document during the call, just quickly re- refresh, um, and you should be able to open it up again. So I'd love to move on to our topic and our guests. Um, Moki Macias is the Director of Community Building for the Annie E. Casey Foundation Atlanta Civic Site, where she works with residents and other community stakeholders to catalyze and manage community change in five historic and deeply challenged neighborhoods on the south side of Atlanta. Trained as a city planner, Moki has experience in the nonprofit sector and grassroots community organizing. She has also presented on process design and the ethics of community-based planning at the American Planning Association and a number of other forums. She is a 2014 Funders Network for Smart Growth and Livable Communities Places Fellows, so congratulations on that one, and also congratulations because she and her partner are expecting their first child this fall. Thank you for joining us, Moki.
2: Thanks for having me, Fran.
0: So could you introduce us a little bit to your approach? Go ahead.
2: Sure. And thank you again for getting us started. It's a pleasure to be on the call today. Um, So I'll say first that I'm a planner and a community organizer at heart, doing this work as a place-based funder. So in my role at Casey, I manage both our physical development um, efforts as well as our community building. As part of our community building efforts, we provide funding, coaching, technical assistance, and direct staff support for community driven planning. So we've done this for physical development projects, community visioning processes, uh, project or program design, um, and we've worked with the school system, nonprofit partners, the city, and neighborhood based groups, both informal and formal. So we describe some of our strategies in the community building report that's actually listed as a resource in the Google Doc. So I'm not going to go into those in detail here. But I want to say this about the idea of inclusivity. Our goal at the end of the day is to strengthen neighborhoods in order to address the history of disinvestment and structural marginalization that these communities have experienced for decades. For a reference on structural marginalization, also in the Google Doc is some work by John Powell, who does a really great job of of um, giving some theory behind that idea. So, In order to get to equitable outcomes, we believe both residents and community-based institutions must have the resources to drive and manage change in their own neighborhoods. Doing this work, therefore, both starts and ends with inclusion. Not only how do you get people to the table, but how do you support those same people to take action going forward? We put resources, therefore, into resident organizing, community infrastructure, but we believe that a lot of this work happens through participatory planning. And we want the planning activities that we're involved in to to not only generate creativity and create momentum, but also to lay the groundwork for shifting power. So I'd like to highlight just a few of the basic principles that guide us. One, uh, group identities shape power dynamics. So every person comes into the room with particular group identities, right, be it their race, gender, physical ability, status as an ex-offender, um, or someone you know with a, with a criminal conviction. And we live in a world in which there are dominant groups and subordinated groups, where some identities are seen as normal or normative, quote-unquote, and some are seen as other. So as facilitators, it's our responsibility, we believe, to understand these dynamics, for one, and also to plan for how we, we will, to the best of our ability, create equalizing spaces or sort of, you know, non-normative spaces. The second principle is that of self-determination. The people who are most affected by an issue are the ones who know the issue best and have the wisdom and creativity to identify solutions to it. Simple as that. And three, planning processes are platforms for future action, so they should be designed with that in mind. What I mean by that is that throughout the planning process, we should create every opportunity to hardwire people's participation into implementation. That could be volunteer roles, it could be communication tools that live on past the planning stage, or it could be setting up decision-making or advisory bodies where appropriate. So those are some of, just a few of our guiding principles. Um, I'd also like to share one particular tool that we use to develop our engagement strategies because I think it relates well to the principles I just mentioned. So also in the Google Doc, you'll see a resource called the Stakeholder Analysis Grid. You know the, the full name is Stakeholder Engagement Analysis Matrix, but that's just because we want to sound fancy. It's, uh, it's actually very, very straightforward. But the idea is this. um, Basically, that oftentimes, the folks who are most affected by an issue are not necessarily the most organized around that particular issue. And our bias is that no matter how big the tent is, so to speak, if you don't have people in the tent that are most affected by the issue, you're really missing the point when it comes to inclusion. So I just want to throw an example here, which is the idea of you know, a high school, a mythical high school, being closed down due to crumbling facilities. There may be A advocacy group on one side of the city, you know, who's in favor of this because it frees up more district resources, excuse me, district wide. They're highly organized, but not directly impacted if this particular school is closed. There may also be a parent advocacy group in the actual high school that's being closed that's both highly organized and also deeply impacted. On the flip side, you know, where are the students? Are the students organized around this issue? You know, they may not be, though they are the ones who walk into school every day with tiles falling from the ceiling. Or, that, you know, if the school is closed, they will be the ones taking two, two school buses um, to their new school, right? So, if we don't plan for it, we may miss out completely on what solutions they have to offer, for one, and also on the opportunity to strengthen their role in the debate about this particular issue. So, if you take a look at that grid, you know there's some strategies listed for how we might engage different groups. so we can be thinking creatively and be realistic about the kind of resources that we need to put in to ensure that people are included in the process. Um, and it's a blunt instrument, right? There's lots of nuances that it doesn't that it does not take into account. Um, but the big takeaway, and I'll end with this, Fran, um, is that in order to create inclusive spaces, we have to invest different resources. We have to take on different tactics. We have to use different strategies to ensure that people get to the table. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach.
0: Terrific. And uh I hope we'll get to some of those e- even more specific examples. That was a very helpful one about the students. Thank you so much, Moki. Sure. Now I'd like to hear from uh, Tramunda Hodges. She is the Community Building Coordinator with the Annie E. Casey Foundation Atlantic Civic Site Community Building Team. She coordinates logistics for community meetings and events. She facilitates meetings and trainings and helps build relationships and partnerships that advance neighborhood transformational goals. She helps non-engaged residents find their niche and develop a desire to become more involved in their community. Tremenda was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and loves her people's town. Town, I think that's right, neighborhood where she and her husband recently became grandparents. Tremenda will share some on-the-ground wisdom and highlights from the people's town visioning process. Welcome so much, Tremenda. Go ahead.
1: Thank you, Fran. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience today. Hello, everyone. One of my favorite roles is to work with the community groups to introduce the goals of a meeting group and to help them plan it. The neighborhood meeting group is to provide an opportunity to understand community's unique strengths, challenges, and priorities. It also serves as a platform for the Atlanta Civic Site staff, along with the community groups, to engage a broad sector of neighborhood residents to share their concerns or ideas to pique and to pique the interest of the non-engaged residents, as Fran mentioned. As you hear, we not only serve the community but collaborate with them as well. This year, of the five communities that we serve, the People's Town community, in again which I live, work and play, was the first to do a meet and greet. They named it Charting the Future Town Hall Meeting, which was preliminary to the actual meeting and group and represented an array of inclusivity. It was held in the community's elementary school auditorium and hosted by the school, a CDC, a social service organization, and the People's Town Neighborhood Association. Together we planned several meetings, created the agenda, and provided resources such as the printing of flyers for the door-to-door outreach, childcare, table guide materials, a catered breakfast and lunch, some door prizes, along with a digital recorder to place at each table. We, thought we supported the request for full participation of each resident of People's Town by selecting table guides from the surrounding communities and compensated them of, with a gift card of $100 and for, for them to actually facilitate the tables. At this time, I would like to walk you through the day, and you can follow along with the People's Town case study. The meeting attracted over 100 participants, including business owners, stay-at-home and working, moms and dads, community leaders, as well as youth, adults, and seniors. Multiple nationalities were represented, along with faith-based organizations. It was meaningful to start the meeting with the breakfast just to put the residents at ease while they fellowshiped with one another. The welcome opportunity was important to acknowledge everyone in the room, including city and state officials who represented um, various parts of the Atlanta area, and they lended their support in various segments of that workshop. to particularly capture what was important to each resident with a an individual and group exercise, we asked them to think about someone they admired and what they valued what their values represented, so that everyone would know who lived in people's town community they act They were asked to write on a cutout paper doll several of them, at, um, in fact, that represented the people in people's town, to describe them in one word Who, um, the, from the question of who are you, meaning describe yourself as an example, black, female, middle age. What do you do? B- volunteer, barber, feed the homeless? Now, in a few words, we asked them to describe how they lived in people's town. Do they drive? Do they shop? Do they run? Do they walk? And we also asked them to think about someone that they knew that lived in the community who was not there at the table or a part of that event. And we wanted to know in one word for them to describe that person as well as what do they do. Or how did they live in the community? The residents were then asked to take out, to check out the collected data and maps that were placed around the room on the wall, and to pull the location in which residents lived, they were encouraged to add to add a push pin to the map that was on the easel. And while they were at to tour another wall that displayed the cut-out paper peoples of People's Town and observe the values that they generated. So for the second half of the session, we activated the digital recorders to take the remainder of the workshop to obtain accurate feedback to share with the community at another date. To chart the history of the People's Town future each group was given ten cutout paper people dolls. And then as a group, each group was asked to set ask a set of questions about the future of People Town, be it five, ten, fifteen years from now, from the perspective of the people that they were given. The group also brainstormed what actions are needed as a community and who do we need at the table with outside community, with outside the community to help us meet the needs of the people that live within the community. Finally, each group reported out on who their people were and how People's Town will meet the needs 15 years from now. Finally, the next step was for the meeting group planners to actually um, meet on a regular basis, which they began doing, to understand and digest the community's feedback and to develop ways to share it back with the community. They will also follow up with the volunteers that were recruited from the town hall meeting to help community organizations further develop Action plan. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Ramonda. Um So before we get to the the, the questions, there, there are a couple things that that you brought up. One, what what was what was the general response to um, to this meeting or or meetings like it? Are um, are 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 people excited to become more engaged? Do people sign up to do more stuff? Is this uh, what what changed? from the people that that came to this uh, morning meeting?
1: Well, I can say that Peoples Town is a pretty active community, and they're always looking for opportunities to come together to improve the structure of the community or the conditions of the community and to fellowship and eat. So the, the, the outcome of that was definitely this. There were certainly interest in being there they um was just so amazed with um the opportunity to ask for the foundation to come in as a concerned partner uh, let me say that as and funder but as a concern partner and funder to um just help them to reach some some of the goals that they're interested in
2: and, well, and, and I'll I ask-
0: imagine with all of these partners that you also involved in in not only being there but also organizing it. That that's that's a very powerful piece of just of having these meetings as well.
2: And I'll add, Fran, that you know I think one of the goals that the planners of the the meeting shared with us from early on was that you know there there are certainly different kind of groups within the neighborhood, and like any neighborhood, you know you you kind of have cliques, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so one of the goals was to kind of break down some of the barriers and to get people talking across uh whether it was kind of sides of the neighborhoods right that don't usually interact or people who've been there for a long time and people who've just moved in you know all sorts of minor divisions and i think it really helped us to to get there by having people think about values that they're bringing into the room and then by having people think about who lives in people's town and then be able to see the 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 true diversity of both values and and people and have to speak to that, right, so that it wasn't – it ended up having to, um, you know, we, we kind of threw everybody in the same people's town boat, and mm-hmm. then people had to start speaking about the future of people's town from that perspective. So I think that was – we found that people were very um, – they, they got shifted a little bit because of the structure of the event.
0: And finally, and I'm going to get I'm going to get to everybody else's questions in a minute, but I think it's so interesting also about what, did were there answers to questions about who was not in the room, and how to engage them?
1: Absolutely. So some of the questions of who were, or some of the responses to who were not in the room, was um, the single parent, the single parent, um, be it mother or father. Who's working and having challenges with um, child care? Um, Some of them may have been um, bus riders and, you know, some of the routes of our public um, transportation has changed. Um, Some of them actually uh, made mention of drug dealers. You know, um, what will it take for them to actually obtain a new career? Um, some of them were so it was various, um, and most of them, I must say, pretty much spoke from their neighbor. You know, not see, not seeing their neighbor there in the room and at the table for various reasons. But also, if you would allow me just maybe 30 seconds, friend, just to say this: as a result of the meet and greet um, preliminary uh, workshop. I, I could say that that was a transforming um, opportunity, which they actually were very successful at doing. And I say that because by all of the community leaders and the organizations actually having an opportunity to come before all of the participants and share, you know, they used that platform to share exactly who they were. And what their organization is all about, and you know, inviting others to be a part of it, that really showed unity from the top, from the head. And again, the People's Town community is already um, pretty active, but they have a heart to really embrace all uniqueness from all the directions. Great, thank
0: you. I'd like to get uh, on to some of the questions that, that folks have. Uh, Katie from Connecticut. Um, is, is interested in kind of um, funding, among other things. She she asks, how do towns that have historically done the minimum posting and advertising required for public meetings, votes, and decision-making break out of that cycle and improve their outreach, particularly when their small budgets are often cited as the reason for lack? So there are actually two questions here. One, um how do you kind of convince people to break out of the old mold of of just having a public meeting and and how do you how do you fund these these meetings to make sure that that you you can you can have them and that won't be a barrier
2: so i can I can start this is mokey okay. um you know I think that what what we've found um is that most of the information that actually travels around the neighborhood, particularly if you have a neighborhood that may have a lot of seniors or folks that are not necessarily linked into, um, you know, using the internet for their kind of main mode of communication, uh, that most of that is word of mouth. And so, you know, well, sure, it, it costs a lot to print a bunch of flyers, to to hire people to go out and either post them or go door to door. You know, I would encourage the um, the planning entities or cities or, or, or whoever they are to consider how to tap into the informal communication networks in the places they're trying to reach. I recognize that's harder to do if you're do, going citywide, right? Atlanta has a, um, has a particular strength here in that we have neighborhood planning units, which are kind of semi-governmental um, organizational structures for sets of neighborhoods to be communicating with each other regularly. Um, so that's – so, you know, I, not every city has that, but I think that there are absolutely structures, communication structures, and, and venues in place in every neighborhood. You know, and that may not just be the neighborhood association, but it, there's some groundwork on the front end of identifying who – in the neighborhood is, is kind of in the know and a go-to person, and then supporting them to help get the word out. So one a quick example, what we were doing in the Pittsburgh community, which is a neighborhood in Atlanta, um, was when we started a master planning process in that neighborhood um, with, with other partners, we polled a whole bunch of folks in the neighborhood to say, what's the best way to communicate about this? And what we heard was that you know it would be great if we had a neighborhood newsletter to be able to share all sorts of information. That newsletter has now been running for going on three years. The master planning process is long over. Um, and they've they've been able to secure some small grants to help pay for printing, but also are you know are really looking to move to getting local businesses to do ads in the news in the newsletter in order to support it. So it certainly depends on a lot of volunteer work in the neighborhood, but I think it's something that if organizations actually put the effort in on the front end, they could activate some really great volunteer communication channels as, in addition to other methods. Thanks, i It's great
0: to hear these concrete examples. Um, Selena T. from Arizona kind of has a, an interesting twist. She She's hoping that this conversation is, is more than just how to get diverse people to come to meetings. She's looking for how do we change what we do and how we do it at gatherings to make them spaces that are welcoming to all walks of life. So are there things that you you do um, besides food, having food there, and maybe child care or something that really makes it welcoming to everybody? Any thoughts on
1: that? Yes. Thank you, Fran. I think Selena's question is so fitting because um, one of the ways that you can ensure the increase and the participation from the community is to, number one, find out what the community really wants and needs. Because so often as um, foundations or um, other leading um, organizations, we pretty much have a habit of dictating what the community needs, and we're telling them what they need, and then we're planning that for them to come to what we said they needed. And and if the truth be told, friend, it really may be so far fetched that may not be what the community really need. So, number one, find out, and I'm sure as our communities are uh, pretty much tired of being surveyed, but find creative ways to do that. Um, you may have to hold a focus group, and you may have to provide some incentives. The incentives does not necessarily have to come out of your budget. You can collaborate with other social services, human services, or, you know, other um businesses and organizations in your community, um, get them on board. That's important too because that too can bring additional resources to the to the community as well as uh, some events that we've um had, we've actually provided transportation. Now sometimes, depending on the number of um in residents that needed transportation, it may not have required a bus or a van. It may just have required a gentle heart and somebody with driver's license insurance and that could drive and have the time to pick up the resident you know that that need the the transportation to the meeting and also you may want to consider changing the venue um some some um organizations maybe be small grassroots, you know, networks, and they may be hosting meetings in their home. Everybody may not want to come to your living room. Everybody may not want to meet at a church. Everybody may not want maybe a gymnasium or auditorium may be a may be a bit large, too large for them. So you may want to consider, you know, tap into your libraries, tap into you know other organizations to actually hold um, to get the interest from the community.
0: And it and it sounds like probably having several meetings, not just one and hoping everybody comes to that one, uh, is gonna something you something you would have to consider.
1: Absolutely. And not only um more meetings, but time frames. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's great to send out a poll, but as Moki said earlier, a doodle poll, but as Moki said earlier, everybody is not um, you know, um assess um, internet is not always available to everybody, so again, there needs to be creative ways to um get the word out and to um you know just make sure everybody has an opportunity of at least being invited i me personally, I like the personal touch I like um the opportunity of folks taking advantage um of the opportunity to number one, meet your neighbor and in addition to meeting your neighbor or checking on your neighbor, um, sharing information about the town hall meeting or whichever um workshop that's coming soon.
2: And I'll add, Fran, on the issue of what to do within, you know, once you're you've got people in a space, um, one resource that people may be familiar with is Peter Block's work. That's mm. also listed in the Google document. But but he has this idea of powerful questions, and and about how you create a space that kind of that you know puts people in a different uh, role, so that instead of showing up to receive information or to kind of you know answer questions, it's it's the way you frame the questions and the way that you set up the expectation of the of the time together is really important. And actually, you know, I think he has done some really beautiful um, writing and work around how to change the nature of the conversation with this idea of powerful questions. So I I would certainly recommend that as a resource.
0: Well, maybe that answers Paula And um, Washington State just, just wrote in wanting suggestions on how to structure the meetings. In, in other words, the time of the meeting, the agenda, the invitations to achieve stakeholder goals like the funders and organizations, but also to ensure that goals, action plans, and strategies are informed by the community members and their voice Um, She says in her case, it's it's about including parent and grandparent voices in early learning and school readiness initiatives. So I I assume that you also really think about the shape of the meeting, considering who you want to be there and and how you're going to engage
1: them. Absolutely, which is so important. Um, Excuse me. Absolutely. In whichever audience um that one may be targeting you really want on the flyer the email um in your announcement you really want to lift that up you know what your uh, what audience you're looking for and then even um even with that um you also if it's parents and grandparents a lot of times um time may be um the essence right of the of, um, the time may be a barrier. The time for the working parents and grandparents and or for the grandparents that does child care and, you know, are the stronger caretakers of, of their grandkids. You really may want to consider conference calls. Um, not always does it have to be a face-to-face meeting. Now, again, I like the personal touch, but, um, to just kind of test out various Opportunities and methods in which you could use to increase that number. I think it'll be well worth it. Once you get them there, you may want to consider giving each of them a role and responsibility, not too heavy. And matter of fact, don't necessarily dictate which one to give who, but you may want to um, throw out there. You know, perhaps we may need a, 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 a someone to do robocalls or somebody, you know, to just make. Reminder calls, or and make a phone number available to where one can call an RSVP and state whether they need transportation, whether they need a um, mobile uh, a mobility bus to come and accommodate their, them being in a wheelchair or things of that sort.
0: Right, Ramonda. Thank you. Uh, I, I'll move on to uh, Michael from Georgia. Um, He's looking at – he asks, how do you promote cumulative learning and engagement where residents remain engaged over time with inclusivity, where new participants are openly sought and welcomed? So this is kind of how do you sustain this and continue to engage people and continue to bring in new people over time. Great.
2: Thanks for that. And thank you, Michael, if it's Michael Elliott, who I think it is. um, He was my professor in city planning school. So hi, Michael. Um, But I think it's a great question. Uh, You know, I think the work, ultimately, of community building and community organizing is to give people back the work, right? And some of my mentors have have really um, hammered that home for me. But what I mean by that is... In terms of you know taking advantage of and, and really capitalizing on the the decades oftentimes of experience that longtime community leaders may have, or even the folks who you know they may have gone through now you know five years of different leadership trainings or um, you know policy policy advocacy workshops or whatever it is, but to, I think the best way to really capitalize on that and to keep people engaged is to give them the work of engaging others. And so it's really about how do you not just delegate, right, but how do you also invite people to take ownership of something and then follow their lead on it, given that they do have, the, you know, those cumulative years of experience. Um, but to where, you know, I think the other dynamic is that oftentimes you have longtime community leaders who may kind of feel like, hey, I got this. Right What do we necessarily need new folks in the room? Um, but I think it's about you know continuing to lovingly push um the the veterans um, and to really to challenge them to you know for what they're going to do to pull people in. you know, I think the other thing is just also thinking about how you're creating spaces in which the language doesn't become Total inside baseball, right? So that you are, you know, providing glossaries. You're providing, you know, one fun thing that we've done before is kind of like a um, a taboo. We've structured meetings as as a taboo game, and so there are particular words that you that basically people can't say because we all go to kind of our catchphrases, right? So if people have to explain what they're talking about in different language, right, if you're talking about zoning issues or something, if you can't use the words you usually reach for, it makes you have to create more accessible language. So I think there's, there's some fun involved in creating spaces that are accessible to folks getting newly engaged. The one other thing I'll say on that is that you know, I've been to so many meetings where people get sort of berated to say, you know, you, you really need to be involved. You know, nothing's going to change if you don't be involved. But people walk out of there with not one single next step that they could actually be involved in. So I think it's really important for every meeting to be able to say, sure, you know, let folks know you need to be involved. But more importantly, let them know how can you be involved. That means we need somebody to attend this meeting next week at City Hall and report back to us. Is somebody willing to partner with our community leader who's going to help do that report back. You know, really concrete things to pull people in, which also may help pass the torch.
0: Terrific, Moki, thanks. And um, uh, Michael, if uh you know, if you are, are burning to add anything to it, though it sounds like you have one heck of a student there, um, <laughs> uh, if you there is a star six option uh for you to come on and, and add to this conversation. And as you might be thinking about that, Mike from Pennsylvania might want to come on. Um, His issue that you kind of spoke to, Moki, just a second ago is um, getting suggestions for pulling together a community in which the major group, which includes civic government, um, are excessively protective of their turf. And I assume, Michael, that you are um, talking about folks who are not really interested in, in inclusivity and might be even threatened by it. Um, uh, Mike from Pennsylvania, if you're there and want to press star six and kind of explain this a little bit, we'll, we welcome that. And if not, in the meantime, um, maybe Moki or Tremunda can kind of speak to how do you help uh, or encourage groups that are, are threatened somehow by inclusivity to see um, what a positive and important thing this is to their Town or community,
1: absolutely, thank you for that awesome question. I just have a few things for that um, number one in if it's not a private meeting, attend their meetings. but when you attend their meetings, attend it without an agenda and also without your own personal agenda, but also at the end of a meeting, if you could stay that long to the end of the meeting. Have a conversation with them, and I think it'll be i think it's okay to be honest about what your organization or what your interest is at that time. Just don't have a an agenda of why you're going, you know, and don't bash them. you may want to compliment them on one or two things that you do like out of the twenty things you don't like um and also, you invite them to your meeting so that they can understand the dynamic of um the the folks that you're working with, and so that they can understand um how helpful it would be for their organization to partner with your organization. You know everybody pretty much i hope you i can i hope I'm saying this, so um it will be understood as it should but everybody want to be identified as their own leader, organization. You know, a lot of times we have to put that to the side because at the end of the day, what has that status really brought to the table? Has it brought um, confusion? Has it brought still um, no collaboration? Or has it really yield anything positive? So I just, you know, would um just encourage myself as well, along with others, to continue to be creative, but continue to pursue what you want to pursue with the pure heart.
2: And I'll and I'll just add to that, you know, to really affirm Tremondas um idea of, you know, if if folks don't come to you, you may need to go to them. But I think particularly with kind of institutional players, um, there really is an opportunity to do some modeling. For, for stuff, I will also say that you know there's, uh, you know I have a, a good friend um, that I, you know is is in kind of an institutional role like this, and what I always end up saying to her is, listen, it, it seems like more work on the front end, but they're going, the people being involved in the front end are going to make your job easier on the back end, and when you know people have this exhaustion around public meetings and getting yelled at all the time, and you know, you know the way that we look at it is. You know, as an institutional player, your job is to be transparent and to be honest and to try and move stuff along as as much as you can. As a community member, your job is to show up and say, that's not enough. So really, it's it's people doing their jobs. And I think it's just a matter of, of helping institutions recognize what their job is and what the community's job is and how, at the end of the day, the more they let people do their jobs, the better outcomes we're going
0: to see. Terrific. Thank you. Um, I, I have a, a couple other questions that are kind of interesting um, that, that might be related. One from Paula How do you avoid the pitfall of one person's voice being viewed as representative of an entire community? Um, so someone might not appreciate someone one being a representative because it might they might say, well she doesn't really represent me or and or feeling that one person in the room represents their whole group. Uh is that um a topic that you guys kind of tackle um in these meetings?
2: Oh never. <laughs> that never <laughs> happens. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, mother and I are looking at each other. Um Rolling our eyes. No. Um, So, so yeah, I think that, you know, I'll say this from a planner's perspective, I think that we tend to want to get quickly to a shared vision or a common agenda or the goal. And that sometimes creates, you know, it, it creates the dynamic of wanting to kind of gloss over the differences within the community and wanting to say, okay, we've got a community representative here. They'll speak for the community um and you know i think the the way that one of the principles under which we operate is that there are always multiple and competing constituencies in every neighborhood and so it it is really our responsibility to unearth what those multiple constituencies are and unearth what it, where where's the rub you know and i and i think that you know it's it's just it's so hard to not you know to con, to Get everybody's voice we're just it's never going to happen, right, but I think if we go in with the expectation that there are multiple constituencies that are that are duking it duking it out over the neighborhood future, no matter what neighborhood you go into, then we set ourselves up to look for other voices and not just take the easy
1: route and i'm sure I'm sure Trimonda has something to add on this sure thank you moki that was that was great um. The reason Mokey and I was, were, were rolling our eyes because how often? Because um, this is a situation that we pretty much face um, quite a bit, actually. You know, serving five communities, and um, one of the things I just want to say that is also important that um, you kind of create a dynamic to where the group will support the the facilitator, and what I mean by that. You allow the group to actually um have the privilege to um speak up uh, to you know let the let the uh dominating voice know that um you know we respect your opinion and we respect you know your effort however um it does not represent us as a whole. And if they will be so open and, a lot and interested in allowing them to speak, what really relates to them, and how um, that particular setting can be a benefit to them as they walk away from that meeting. Mm.
0: And this is the one that, that felt sort of related to that. This is an anonymous from Florida. Is you know she has a very committed and hardworking steering committee. Um, who are committed to diversity, but she says, but, you know, they either don't get it or they don't have the empathy for some reason or resist it. Most of our team is very open, but some lack sensitivity about barriers to inclusion. And it seems everybody comes to the table at a different level of understanding or sensitivity. Are there ways that you deal with those different levels of, of understanding and connection to this issue?
1: you know i was just real i read that question earlier friend and um from the time i read it even to now i'm still pondering over the creative ways that 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 you know this could be a better outcome but let me just speak from let me just speak from reality the reality of it is that there are um there are some whether they want to understand it, not interested or just want to, you know, have something to do and bring havoc to the environment. Um there are some that it I think in this case it could be a sense of um class class culture, mm-hmm. you know, race Mm-hmm. And, um, you really want to get to the bottom of that i I think, in order for um transparency and growth and development to take place, you have to acknowledge the ugly um agents let me say that are that exist that are in the room and in addition to that um when they don't want to have empathy. And, and this is kind of a situation that I am currently in right now, um, but but it's not a bad thing. It's an opportunity for me to grow, be creative. and But what I love about being in this situation, Fran, is that I get the opportunity at the end of the day to really bring the balance, you know, uh, between the two, three, or other ugly agents that may exist. So, I think, you know, it's just a matter of just, um, and I know it's going to kind of sound a little off course, but it's a matter of, um, not getting burned out, not letting that run you away from, from, you know, what you're enjoying doing and what your goal is, and to just, um, you know, perhaps, Think of creative ways and ideas, and even bring it to the group as to you know get in their thoughts as to what they think um, some creative ways could be to, to address that. And I
2: can add, I'll add to the Google document after the call a couple different resources um, for folks that do facilitation and training. I would just piggyback on Tremonda's comment to say, you know, I think. The work, at the end of the day, starts within the team. And Mm -hmm. so to the extent that people are pushed to be vulnerable, to look at their own stuff, um, and to grow together internally, you know, that really has to happen before they can go out and try and engage people or start this conversation about inclusivity or diversity. Like The work has to start internally.
0: Great. Thank you. Um, Katie from Connecticut is interested in, in if there are strategies for inclusiveness when a significant portion of the community speaks a language other than English. What are your strategies there?
2: So I think this is where we have to be really transparent that the neighborhoods that we work in are fairly homogenous in okay. terms of being English speaking, um, in, yeah, in terms of being overwhelmingly English speaking um you know I know that there are people all across the country that are doing this work you know in in much more language diverse communities that would have some say um you know I would just say though that you know there's certainly you know to back to Tremenda's personal touch which is her you know which makes her great at what she does i think to the extent that you can work with messengers that are representative of the communities that they're trying to reach. It's really, really important. Um, you know, I think that there's there's been great work done, like, with health promotion promotores coming out of um, a Latin American model of, of people doing the kind of grassroots-level community outreach uh, that I think has been very successful in projects across the country. And that's something to look at um, just in terms of how you're – making sure that it's not just about translation, but also about who the messenger is and what kind of comfortable conversations can be had with the person who's knocking on your door.
0: Great. And I encourage uh, other people who are listening today who have had a lot more experience with um, communities where there are several languages. I, I know in, in my community there are uh, about 48 languages in the high school, and it's and it's a challenge, um, but an exciting one. Um, there is another question uh, coming in from Texas, and maybe we've covered this a little bit, but this is really a question about best ways to introduce the concepts of residence engagement um, to a community and to leaders. Uh, the situation there is, she um, or he says, we are in the early stages of a community and resident engaged initiative to strengthen the economic and overall well-being of a city. Um, in our county. This city, like our county as a whole, is one of the fastest growing population rates in the state and the country. In fact, coupled with the interest um, of diverse residents and with the commitment of leaders in the city, um, they want to ensure the quality of life for all residents as growth progresses and offers opportunity to explore models that have not maybe been tried here before. So it sounds to me, and I'm not sure if I'm translating this right either, but a very fast-growing place um, how do you make sure? Um, how do you introduce ways to have resident engagement when things are moving so fast and everything is growing quickly? How do you and/or how do you, how do you even begin? There's another question on how do you begin with community engagement where it never has happened before.
1: Thanks, Brian, for that great question. Number one, I believe it's so important that um, if there has been a previous leader in that community, you always want to acknowledge that leader. And what I mean by that, don't act like you're getting involved today. Um, It's the only involvement that has taken place in this community. So you want to reach back and you want to... You know you really do want to um bring some acknowledgement um toward that previous leader, or either it could be the current leader, and you may not like their strategy and their ways of doing things and you may want to also partner with or at least sit down and have coffee on a conversation with the leader, not saying that they always have all the right answers or even something that's to your liking. But to at least um get the wis- whiz- get their wisdom and of their failures of their <clears throat> excuse me of the things that are or- lessons learned, um, things of that sort. So I think it's important to, um, um, when you talk about growing a community, as Moki said earlier, it's important for the internal dynamics to be flowing in a transparent, honest, and open manner. And then you take that model that you have modeled at home, so to speak, you take that into the community, into the world, um, because it's not until that time is when um, you plant the seed for growth and development and and things of that sort.
2: And I, I would add, Fran, in addition to sort of doing your homework and doing your groundwork, um, you know, that just to acknowledge the kind of anxiety that's probably present around, uh, you know, a lot of transition in a place. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think dealing with that head-on may get people to trust the process or may start earning the trust of folks in the process. So recognizing that there's probably people who are very worried about the pace of development. There may be others who are kind of there because it's happening and they want to see it continue. Um, You know, at the end of the day, you know, there's probably a lot of shared interests among all these people, um, but I think it's acknowledging the anxiety that that kind of change can produce there's a woman um out in there's a woman in new orleans and i'll add her name i don't know it now but i'll add her name to the google doc but she she has this project where basically it's stickers that says you know i want this to be or my city is and so she was basically distributing all these stickers for these vacant buildings and you know people were basically just writing on the, on the walls of these buildings, on these stickers, right? Um, but maybe some creative ways like that to kind of start getting a buzz going um, and to also encourage that people may not necessarily show up to a meeting, but they might participate in a public dialogue, you know, um, and that could be Internet-based as well, but some public dialogue around what does this change mean for me? What am I worried about? What am I excited about for these changes? So, as a way to kind of get some of that aired,
1: we are um,
0: we are just about out of time. Um, so, I'm just I'm going to ask. Uh, I've got two quick final questions. I want to thank every everybody is um, also Moki and Tramunda, You've been tremendous in in helping us really um, tackle this uh, question and interest. And other people have added some really terrific things. So, thank you for everybody who is adding to the document. So, so finally, maybe it's one. Uh, Uh, There's a question, what can people do tomorrow and uh, to – or next week to really get started on this, which which I think, Moki, you've just really introduced. Um, and or the, the other question, because I want to hear from each of you, something like either what can we do next week? And somebody asked, how can I become a more proficient partner? So what makes a really good partner? So maybe there's something, what can somebody who really wants to be a good partner do right away? And um, if there's another thought uh, very quickly about what somebody can do next week.
1: Okay, I think that's a great ending question, Fran. I think what's important to um what you could do next week is really take this time over the weekend and think about all the goals that you really have for your community. As you're thinking about those goals, go ahead and prioritize those goals. And you may it may be be beneficial to narrow it down don't take them off the table but you th- you you decide on which goal is most important and most related to where the community is and start pursuing that goal and as you start seeing some harvest um around Pursuing those goals, then you start introducing the other goals. But be sure they're not your own personal goals. Be sure they're the goals of the community. Great, thank you, okay. Kamunda. And I'll and
2: I'll add um, or I'll close with with this. You know, I think that in order to be a, a a really proficient partner, I think it's it's really about consistency, about transparency, and about leading with relationships. And so leading with your heart. In terms of what people could do next week, I would say go to um, go to one public meeting and just and you know I'm sure a lot of folks on the call go to a million but go to one and you know don't go as a facilitator don't go as somebody who knows you know what's going on even but go to a meeting and sit down and just experience that meeting from the moment you walk in the door to the moment you leave and experience it as a community member and think about. You know, what are the ways I would do this differently? Do I feel welcome in this space? Do I feel invited to be a part of whatever they're they're discussing, right? And so, and I think, you know, I think the most that I've learned from to design processes, particularly inclusive ones, are being on the other end of them and feeling like, does this feel good, or is there a better way? So I would encourage folks to do that. You know, just as an exercise.
0: Great. Thank you so much. Moki and um Macias and Fremunda Hodges, thank you both so much for being on this call. We've just run out of time. I've got just a few announcements. Thank you both for joining us today.
2: Thank you. It was our pleasure. Absolutely.
0: And we hope you continue to add to the Google Doc. There's some great comments there. We'll send it around to everybody. Caitlin has also just added a link to a five-question survey very quick at the top of the Google Doc um, to let you um, please comment on how this call went for you today and let us know how we might make this series be even more useful to you. Our next call in July is on Wednesday, July 23rd. So same time, different day of the week. Um, at 4 o'clock, Janice Foster Richardson of Grassroots Grant Makers will talk about grassroots grants. You'll hear how local governments, nonprofits, foundations, and other community groups are supporting everyday people and making positive change through small grants. That will be fun. Thank you all for participating, and good luck in making your neighborhood or community a more inclusive, stronger, and even better place to live. I'm Fran Stoddard for the Orton Family Foundation. We hope you join us again in July. Bye-bye. Thank you.